morning. This morning, I talked with you a little bit about 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to bust that chapter in half for time's sake. There's just so many lessons we can learn that, and I don't want to skip over anything. One of the main lessons I want us to see this morning, they want us to learn to see. I mean, it's wonderful standing up here and seeing all the, the wonderful family and friends and, that we have here. But you know, it's like Brother Reagan said, it's good to see everyone back from their vacations and their times and all, but things just aren't always the way to see. It's good to see Kim and Herman back from their vacation. They go on vacation and rest and relax, thinking that not the threat of a storm and just one small turn of a storm and it changes the whole situation. But then we have to see, usually later on when we get the full scope of the story, see that God is always with us. And that's one of the things that God is always trying to tell us is how much we are unable to see. In particular, We've been looking at the nation of Israel. In the books of 1st and 2nd Kings. We have observed how Israel is unable to properly see God and their relationship with him. Elijah and Elijah has been sent to help the people, but they've been rejected them, even though they are teaching and performing the miracles of God. Now some of these miracles that Elijah and Elijah has performed and all, we stop and ask ourselves, after seeing that, how can you turn your back? How can you reject them from being a man of God? In 2 Kings chapter 6, we, we encounter another miracle that seems mundane and strange. As I said, we see things around us today and don't really understand. But have you ever seen a, an axe head float? Axe head float, it ain't gonna be worth chopping wood with the way I look at it in human eyes. But that's cause we're only seeing with human eyes. We need to see things the way God intends for us to. We have noted in our study of Elijah that many of his miracles seem to fall in this category of being strange and mundane until we look just a little closer and see the meaning behind the miracle our actions here on events and adventures here on earth we need to look a little behind them and see what can i learn from that no miracle is done for the sake of just doing a miracle every miracle performs an important message. This is also the case of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to see in the first seven verses. As I said, an axe head floats. 2 Kings chapter 6. Starting verse 1. It says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elijah, Behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray, thee into Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye, one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy service. 
And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was throwing a beam, the axe had fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Verse 7, Therefore he said, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Now, is this telling us that if we out chop a wood and our axe head falls in the water, all we got to do is cut out a few pieces of stick and throw it in and the axe is gonna, head's going to float? No. There's a reason for this miracle. Elijah's with his company of prophets, and the prophets observed that they need to build a bigger place to stay because they're growing numbers. So they go to the Jordan River to collect logs to build a larger place for the prophets. And as they're cutting down some of the trees to build a new place for the company of the prophets to live, as we read here or six, seven, that one was cutting down a tree and his axe head fell into the water. Now he's really upset because, as he said, that axe head was borrowed. So his axe head fell in. So he tells Elijah what happened. Elijah goes to a point in the river where the axe head fell in. He cut a piece of wood, he threw it into the water, and made the axe head float. The man then takes the axe head out of the water. Now we have to stop and ask, is this some silly trick? It certainly seems mundane and insignificant. Why does Elijah perform this miracle? Is he just showing that he can do miracles? Why is this miracle even recorded for us to study and learn about? What could possibly be the importance of this act? Well, first off, we need to understand the world in which this happens. Iron was very expensive, expensive in ancient Near Eastern times, and this would have been a great loss. This would have put the prophet in debt to the one from whom he had borrowed the act. But there's something more going on than simply saving this prophet from going into debt over lost of axe head. You might recall that Elijah had been doing a number of miracles with water. If you remember 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 21, 2 Kings 2 and 21, Elisha healed the waters of Jericho. This was a picture of healing and the reversing of the curse of God was offering to Israel. And then we see in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 41, 2 Kings 4, 41, Elijah removes the death from the pot of stew that was poisonous. This also was a picture of the healing and the reversal that God was offering to Israel. And then further on, 2 Kings chapter 5, we saw the instruction for Naaman to dip himself into the Jordan River seven times for cleansing and healing of his leprosy. So here we are in another water scene where the axe head sinks into water. Now this is a picture of death and loss. But Elijah raises up the axe head and restores it to the prophet. Yet again, Elijah reversing the condition. Yet again, Elijah is showing a picture of restoration. It's a continuous symbol for Israel's future. You can be healed. You can be cleansed. Your condition 
whatever it may be, can be reversed. You can be restored. It's never too late. And going on down in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23, is one of the main lessons I want us to see that we need eyes to see. I want us to hold this message in your mind because it directly connects to the events that are recorded next. In verse 8 through 23, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall my, be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a way, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore, troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and he said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, and I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore, send him thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and could pass the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, gone forth, behold, a host could pass the city, both for horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray that he open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite these people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. And Elijah said unto them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you see. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, there were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elijah when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with a sword and with thy bow? But bread and water, set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drank, he, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more to the land of Israel. After reading that, I'm lost already. In my eyes of feet, that is no way of fighting a battle. <clears throat> but we see here that in verse 8 we're told about another time when the king of Syria was attacking Israel. So the Syrians are planning another attack. But Elijah sends a message to the king of Israel warning him of this. Therefore, it would be the place where the Syrians would set up 
their camp for the attack. Chapter 6, verse 9. But now look at, back at verse 10. Verse 10 said, And the kingdom of Israel set to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Elijah did this many times. Elijah warned the king of Israel more than a couple of times about the Syrians attack. Now this should be surprising to us. We were told in 2 Kings chapter 5 that God was with the Syrians as they attacked Israel. Clearly this is communicating to us that these attacks are God's judgment for Israel's wickedness and their rejection of God. I mean, we still have a son of Ahab on the throne, and the nation is worthy of judgment for its rejection of God's service, Elijah and Elijah. This becomes a problem for the king of Syria. Since the Israelite armies keep knowing where the Syrian camps are, the king of Syria thinks that he must have a spy in his midst. Someone is giving Israel this critical <coughs> military information, chapter 6, verse 11. But one of the servants tells the king that that is not, that they do not have a spy. Rather, Elijah the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in secret in your bedroom, your bedchambers. Chapter 6, verse 12. Now how amazing that one of the servants of Syria understands the real problem here. This servant sees and understands that there is a prophet in Israel who is doing this. The king of Syria responds to this is that they need to seize Elijah. So the king of Syria sends horses, chariots, and a great army and he surrounds the city where Elijah is staying. Chapter 6, verse 14. This says a lot about the power of Syria. As they are able to coming into Israel's territory, easily surround the city where Elijah is at. But also consider the irony that the king of Syria thinks that he can capture this prophet who knows that he is what he's planning in his own bedroom. When the servant of the man of God wakes up, he looks out and he sees that the Syrian army, army has surrounded the city of horses and his chariots. It looks like they're doomed. So the servant asks Elijah, what shall we do? And then we see in verse 16, Elijah's answer. Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Now think about it for a moment. This really sounds impossible. This town in Israel is surrounded by a powerful Syrian army. And they were able to just come right in. There seems to be no escape. But the answer is that there is no need to be afraid. Human eyes, I'd say there's plenty of need to be afraid. But he said, there is more with us than with them. Then Elijah prayed that the Lord would open his servant's eyes to see so the Lord opened the eyes of the servant. He saw a mountain of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah, chapter 6, verse 17. Then as the Syrians came down toward Elijah, Elijah prays for the Lord and said to blind the Syrian army. So they are, the Lord strikes him with blindness. 
But what happened next, as we read in the scripture, might be the most surprising of the whole event. Instead of just going out and smiting them or wiping them out, Elijah leads his blind army to Samaria, the capital of Israel. Don't just lead them into town, bring them to your capital city. And once they are brought to Samaria, the Lord opens their eyes and they see that they are in the middle of the capital city. The king of Israel has Elijah and they should strike him down and kill the Syrian army. You would think this was what was going to happen. It's going to be the result. But then we've seen in verse 22 that Elijah said that we're not going to kill him. We're going to do just the opposite. Set food and water in front of them so that they can eat and drink and go back to their master. So the king of Israel prepared a great feast for the Syrian army. They ate and they drank and were sent back to their master. So the Syrians no longer came on raids into the land of Israel. What just happened? And what was God teaching? Well, the first question is, can you see? There are three things God wants us to see. First of all, I see that God wants us to see the unseen protection of God. You have to love how Elijah comes to servant in verse 16. When his servant's paranoid, he's scared. And he asks him, what do we do? He says, don't be afraid. I'm sure that's not the answer that that servant was expecting to hear. He said, don't be afraid. For those, are, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. God is always telling us that we do not need to be afraid. God is always telling us that he would never leave us or forsake us. God wants us to see that, that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Why is Elijah not going into panic mode here? Because those who are with him are more than those who are against him. God wants us, our eyes open to see that we have to come to innumerable angels and festival gatherings, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22-24. Hebrews 12, 22-24. Our faith will overpower our fears when we see the unseen. We cannot see what we have and therefore must walk by faith and not by sight. Secondly, God wants us to see that peace is given to those whose eyes are open. A great peace is given to those whose eyes are open. This is an amazing picture that these Gentiles who are the enemies of Israel have a feast prepared before them by the king of Israel. Can you imagine how they felt when this hearing's eyes were opened up. Don't you think they were expecting to be slaughtered? I don't think they were expecting to be fed and then let off or let go back to their master. Jesus told many parables depleting the realization of this prophetic picture. Now, for example, Jesus told a parable about a great feast in which those of the invited Israel made excuses on why they could not come and enjoy the great banquet. So the master of the feast told his servants to go out to those in the streets and the alleys to bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. 
They were even instructed to go to the highways and the hedges so that the houses may be full. Luke 14, 15, 24. Luke 14, 15, 24. So here it is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Where the king of Israel is giving a great feast to those who are enemies of Israel. But now their eyes are open. They now are changed. They were blind, but now they see as such, and never fight against Israel again. So how are we going to have this kind of sight and enjoy the peace that God offers and see that there are more with us than against us? The final thing I think God wants us to see here is that God wants us to understand that he is in the business of blinding those who think they see and giving sights to those who know that they are blind. Jesus said that this was the very work he was accomplishing. The context of our reading is that disciples came to Jesus wanting to know why Jesus speaks to the crowd in parables. And this was Jesus' answer. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled it says, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they are closed. Least they should be see with their ears, and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. I would heal them. Matthew chapter 13, 13 and 15. Matthew 13, 13 and 15. Jesus is teaching in a way so that the blind would see. Those who are seeing would not see or understand. Jesus specifically said that this was the condition that afflicted religious leaders in his day. Some of the Pharisees never heard, it, heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. John 9, 40 and 41. John 9, 40 and 41. Do so you see what's happening? Elisha is repeatedly warning the king of Israel about the Syrian encampments, trying to get this king to see, even though he is the son of Ahab, and he walked in the way of his father. God's continuous work to get Israel to see. Elijah's miracles are to get people to see that God has come to offer restoration and reversal of their condition if they would submit to the Lord. In fact, Elijah is even showing that God is even working to get the Gentiles to see. Even though they are blind, bring them into the feast and let them see what God is doing. Paul had the same prayer for you. <clears throat> said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is in the hope, what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 19. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 19. Now in closing, as you come to know the Lord, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. 
You will have spiritual sights and know the hope to which you have been called. You will know the riches of his glorious inheritance. You will know the immeasurable greatness of the power for us who believe. You will only see as you come to know the Lord. You will only see when you see what God is doing in your life. But here's the problem. Everyone thinks that they see. This kind of problem in our, in our culture, culture right now. No one is humble enough to listen to anyone else. I know I see, and I'm not going to listen to anything different than that, is what a lot of them believe. But we are truly blinded when we think like this. If no one can come to your life and tell you about your blindness, then you're blind. If all that you see is the blindness of others, but not your own, then you're blind. God offers it's for everyone to see. But if you think you see without him, you don't see at all. We should not be surprised or upset when people can, cannot see think that you're crazy. Stop arguing on social media on what you see. They're not going to see because of your cute little mimics or little wise comical statements. They will only see when God opens their eyes. Only God can open the eyes into people's hearts. Only God has the power to open dark hearts, hardened hearts. So do not be surprised when they cannot see and argue with that is not going to go anywhere. Rather, we need to spend our time receiving the spirit of wisdom, revelation as we come to know the Lord so that our eyes will be open. Do you see the feast that God has put in front of to enjoy? Do you see the hope of which he called you? Do you see the riches of his glorious inheritance? Do you see the immeasurable greatness of the power for us? Are you looking for the power of God in your life as you come to know him? God is here and available to you if you will come to him and receive the sight that he wants you to have. As I was speaking in my Aunt's memorial yesterday, I said I had a little, little motto and I gave it to him and I gave it to y'all. Free to use it. You don't go to heaven to find Christ. You go to Christ to find heaven. And that's the way we have to do our lives here on earth. We got to dedicate our lives to our Heavenly Father. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you dedicate your life to him, do it fully. Come to know God and enjoy a faith that stands above our fears. If you need to be baptized and become a child of God, maybe you've already been baptized and become a child of God, but you've stepped out of his way or you just don't, after observing yourself and checking ourselves out, we don't feel like our relationship with God is where it needs to be. Whatever it may be, your need may be, we ask you to come forward and we stand and sing our song of invitation.